Hi, this is Nick Spencer, and these guys, right? You're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Uh, still not canceled. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self abandon. The amazing spider talk. The amazing spider talk. Come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for this special review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Today, we're going to be rounding up our Patreon reviews of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 14 through 16, also known as Legacy Numbers 815 through 817, as Spider-Man encounters the Rhino and a friend from his past returns. We originally recorded these conversations back when the issues were first released for our Patreon audience. So remember, this episode wouldn't be possible without support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. If you enjoy this show and want to help us continue while getting amazing bonus content like these reviews when they were originally released to our Patreon subscribers and other additional episodes that we never released publicly, go check out our show notes and go over to our Patreon page and consider joining our team. And speaking of joining our team, Dan, let's offer a huge special thank you to our incredibly generous new patrons, including Christopher Perez. Austin Morales, Brendan Roberts, and Matthew Amuso. Do you think Austin Morales is some distant cousin of Miles? Yeah, from like Earth 642. What, is, there, is there some special designation to 642? No, nah, I just came up with it. All right, perfect. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's about how Marvel does it. More or less. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, on that note, I wanted to thank our patrons, you know, whether you're still with us or, or not for over the years, because, you know, Mark and I have used the money variety of things, you know, like doing our special 200th episode. And one of the big things we've been saving up for is uh, kind of making everything better for us through redesigning our website. And actually starting tomorrow, our website is going to start getting some redesigns in a major way to kind of emphasize the podcast and allow Mark and I to do all kinds of new things. But the number one thing we really want to do is bring our listeners and fans and supporters into the process a bit more. And that means like doing um, like video, live video podcasting and more comment feeds and, and more ways to get you involved. And that's kind of what the site is going to be kind of built around this kind of interactivity between all of us. And we couldn't have done it without all of you. And this isn't going to be happening for some months or two as I you know, work with our developer to tweak things here and there, but it was only made possible through your donations to the show. Mark and I don't take any profit from this. It's all going into making the show a better product. And uh, the website, I hope when it is done, you enjoy it. And Mark and I will talk more about that when the time comes. But know that, 
your uh, contributions have really gone a long way. Excellent. I, Dan, I cannot wait to see where this goes next. And obviously, a very special thanks to all the support over the years for allowing us to make this huge step. It's going to be really super exciting. I can't wait. But um, in the meantime, let's get into our review of Amazing Spider-Man number 14. What's new? Well, Mark, we are here today to talk about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 14, also known as Legacy, number 815. It's a bit of an odd issue. We kind of broke away from our two core artists, Humberto Ramos and uh, Ryan Otley, and we got this kind of guest appearance by uh, Chris Bacalo. Uh, who I think is coming back for a couple more issues down the line eventually as we get into like the hunted story arc. Uh, Mark, this book is kind of a round robin of villains and s- side characters, kind of a palette cleanser. What do you think of this issue? Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty good way to kick off a new arc in a way, while also I feel like we've, we're finally starting to get some dots being connected from some of these earlier things involving uh, Craven and the Lizard um, and uh, um, Taskmaster and Black Ant. So it, it, it's good to kind of start to see some progress in that regard. I mean, I guess the only thing in terms of the of the dangling storylines that's missing from this is the um, the man in or, or Shush, right? That's what we're calling him, Shush? Yeah, we haven't seen Shush in a while, which kind of happy about let's stick with what you know let's come in more immediately oh yeah i'm not necessarily asking for shush i'm just saying like it but this did feel like after kind of wrapping up this jonah story and you know we're 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 starting to see more progress although i'm still kind of curious where this thing with craven the hunter is all leading to we can we can talk a little bit more specifically about that in a second um but yeah i mean i liked it i mean you know i i i gotta be honest i mean the 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 one thing you know kind of as a broad stroke to start things off maybe is is you know after I, i'm really liking how ryan otley's artwork meshes with nick spencer's writing i feel like the otley spencer issues are probably been my favorite so far of this run and um you know i i i was not the hugest chris Bacalo fan I think going back to when he was on the book the first time around with some of the the brand new day or or I guess the gauntlet stuff whatever I'm trying to remember exactly what period it was and yeah it just, it just seems like a little too loose and sketchy I mean like his lizard is good um but um it, so the the art did take me out of it a little way especially like some of his characters out of costume I mean like his Peter looks very young his Doctor Connors looked very odd to me like big big round nose and (laughs) so it was kind of throwing me a little bit but um but i like the direction of the story itself i like what spencer's kind of building here so that's that's my big broad stroke to start i don't disagree with you about a number of the complaints that you have about the art i really like chris bacalo's stuff i think he's like been really great on doctor strange in recent years and i liked his stuff in the brand new day era you know like there's that great Winter in New York story and with the Aztec gods and Shed. Well, I don't really love the writing in that book. I thought the art was really beautiful. I think his lizard is really grotesque and and fun uh, on the page. 
But I agree with you. I've always kind of had a problem with his Peter and kind of supporting cast. They look like they're teenagers at, at best, um, which kind of coupled with a moment in this book, which we'll talk about later, brings into question just how old Peter is uh, in this book. You know, I, I do like his kind of expressiveness and willingness to get creative with panel layouts. Sometimes I find them completely indecipherable. Uh, there's a number of uh, books that, like, I can think of where I just, like, I remember looking at the pages and being like, I have no idea what's going on here. I don't think this issue suffers from that. I think that the visuals are pretty clear, and I think Spencer is a pretty clear writer for for a, a number of different art styles, which I, I've liked. Um, I've never found a Nick Spencer book where I was confused by the art and the writing and how they're paired together. So I have to think that he's kind of good at taking charge on that. Um, but yeah, there are some things here that are very strange. I think the Connors and Peter are, are the two main ones to point out. And when your book is about Peter, it is strange to see him portrayed in, in this way. But like, he's another guy like Otley where it's like, I'll see his villains any day of the week. I love that he's Rhino in this is as grotesque as he is, and that his uh, costume is so patchwork. It takes me back to, like, the Ramita days where that costume wasn't really, like, a full piece, but something that was grafted onto his skin. There's something kind of fun about that. Yeah, I agree with that. His, his rhino definitely was very good in this, too. And I, and I, I liked his Taskmaster and Black Ant, too. I mean, I guess maybe, like I said, the issue is the out-of-costume stuff, which is something I've, I've kind of picked on with other artists, Um that, you know, I feel like they do better in costume than out of costume, which is, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you're doing a superhero book. Uh, obviously, costumes are more fun, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah. And this this issue in particular is very out of costume. It's very much a, like, people book. Yeah, which is, I think, why I kind of got taken out of it a couple times. Like, his Aunt May looks strange to me. Like, I, it just kind of, you know, if it wasn't for... The, the, the captions and the, and the dialogue, I wouldn't have known who some of these people were. You know, they just seemed very unrecognizable to me. It's an even starker comparison with Otley, whose characters are very Romita-esque. They're very crisp and clean, and the framing is very old school and conventional. And suddenly to get an issue like this, it's it's like, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it, I would say it's even starker than going from like a Ditko to a Romita. Right, right. I mean, not for nothing, you know, we're going to get a, a, a character reveal later in this in this story that I missed completely. Um, now, granted, we got some clues from the text, but maybe, I don't know, like the art, maybe the art took me out of it, too. I'm, I'm making all of my excuses now, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to jump right ahead for a second and go, even if Ned Leeds was drawn to look like Ned Leeds, would you be able to pull him out of a lineup? I couldn't tell you what Ned Leeds looks like. I mean, unless his throat is slit and he's sitting in a floor in a, in a hotel room in Germany, probably not. You know, but <laughs> no, he's like the like any man bloke. Like he just looks like every other dude. He doesn't have like tootsie roll hair or anything like that. Like I think the intention behind his design was that he was literally anybody but Peter Parker. Right. And and since we've already jumped to it, yes, we we th- there is a bearded man who shows up later in this book. Uh, through the clues, Dan was able to pretty easily decipher that it was Ned Leeds. And it wasn't until I opened the notes for this episode that I was like, oh, that was Ned Leeds. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, you're a gracious host because you could have easily not admitted that and I would have let it fly. And and here you are uh, admitting it. So, you know what? I'm going to tip my hat to you instead of really mocking you about it. 
For this episode, at least. Yeah, I wanted to steer into the skid for this one, okay? You know, maybe next time. <laughs> maybe next time I'll try and get out of it. But, you know, might as well, might as well go into it. <laughs> well, you're not the only person I've noticed that missed it. Like, I think Kane uh, from the Untold Talks said that he thought it was Sentry. So that's uh, that's almost in the opposite direction of you. Right, right, okay. I mean, I I I, I was just like, oh, it's some homeless guy. <laughs> like I was thinking none of that. I was like, this isn't anyone of any significance whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go. Let's go to the beginning of this issue where we get this kind of wrap up from the previous issue with like arcade, kind of trying to explain away why nobody's getting paid for the the job they did for the uh, the big man or. The Big Man Jr. Or, or what are we calling him? The Big Big Man? There we go. Big Big Man. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of this little bit? I mean, I, I thought, if anything, Bacalo's art brought this to life a lot. They got a quirkiness of arcade. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I feel like this was a good bow on top of the arcade arc. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoy arcade and kind of the sadistic humor element of it. Um, you know, I think the only thing that kind of threw me with this was, you know, we 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 finally get a, the visual appearance of Craven for because we have not seen Craven yet, have we? Even though we have, we all, have, oh, we, we have? saw Otley draw him, yeah, okay. at the end of the first five issues. Okay, okay, that's right, that's right, we did. But like, this is like the second reminder of Craven, um, and and that this arc has been building, and you know, so it was good to see him. I mean, the thing that kind of threw me was him kind of coming out and. Yeah, we got some. I felt some funny one-liners from Arcade to Craven, courtesy of Spencer. But then there was this thing of, "I want you to build me something," and like I, you know, there was a part of me that's like, "Huh." I mean, you know, on one end, Craven is the hunter, and you know, what what could the hunter possibly need built for him? I mean, from someone like Arcade, that would to me indicate something more technological and less primal. Uh, <laughs> so. But, you know, we, we, we are seeing within the Spencer run that characters are growing in different directions than what we're used to. So, I, you know, let's wait and see, right? Yeah, uh, we're going to have to wait and see on this one. I, I think one of the big things that I've kind of taken away from the Spencer run so far is that, like, the more time we give him, the more our questions and concerns are going to be answered or solved. Like, I remember complaining when the lizard first showed up, like, oh, are we throwing away all of the old lizard stories that we got that led up to this point? Like, what happened to his family? What happened to X, Y, and Z? And then in this issue, not to get, you know, move on, but, I mean, it's a good transition into it. Like, we do get that back again. You know, like, the lizard's family is involved in all this, and we are acknowledging the history. Okay, maybe we're not acknowledging that the lizard's body is made out of brain matter, (laughs) uh, which, you know what, like... That's that's what a good you know follow up should do is go what worked and what didn't let's throw out the stuff that didn't work right and stick with the stuff that did and I think this new dynamic for the lizard is very interesting so like I he's slowly winning me over you know with just with time it's like okay he's gonna address it all we're gonna get to it so with the Craven stuff it's like I'm inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt even if it's like a weird partnership uh, I I would say. I don't know. I, I'm I'm more I'm curious to see where it goes, and you know I kind of want all of Spencer's storytelling to like speed it up a little bit, but uh, he does seem to eventually get to all of our concerns. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a kind of Bendis-esque deconstruction going on here with with some of these plot points, which can be frustrating. Um, like you said, 
you know, maybe it reads differently in a trade. Although then again, we we got a lot of re- well previous issues, not so much in this one. A lot of like recaps of the previous issue kind of a stuff, which I don't know how that would work on a trade. Um, but there there does like like you just said when you kind of start to see things falling into place uh there seems to be kind of a method to the madness of this deliberate pace and and it and it gives me um more of a reason to kind of give spencer the benefit of the doubt here that we're going somewhere because yeah like you said this this new status quo with um the connor's family was pretty interesting um also worth noting um i feel like in the world of superhero comic books, no one has more awkward dinners than Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. Um, I mean, <laughs> I, can we, I mean, I think we need to start coming up with a running count of how many times dinners have been ruined in Peter, what Peter has attended. Cause it just seems to be a lot. <laughs> Did it have to be in the sewer? Like, can't somebody get these guys an apartment somewhere? Right. I mean, is, is, is he being paid that poorly as a teacher that he has to like, Keep his family below ground. Right, right. But even that, not even just the fact that it's in the suit. I mean, you know, you got Billy fighting and storming off. And I mean, you know, like he's eating with lizard people. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just like, I don't know what's worse, you know, having like Harry Osborne, like tying every, you know, pre uh, the sins past, not sins past, um, since since remembered uh, the 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 jam jmd story um from the 90s oh, the, the child within, child within. Kind of stuff. thank you yeah child within like there i mean that's a good awkward dinner there's of course the the norman osborne spectacular spider-man magazine number two dinner party uh i just feel like there's a lot of really painful dinners in spider-man comic books and um, is that the kind of dinner where you bring your girlfriend along well that's it too i was like wow he's like i mean you know mj is really kind of just being progressive about this i mean truly (laughs) (laughs) yeah i thought i thought it was a really macabre scene and and interesting if this is the direction we're staying down i mean is there a more like bizarre scenario where the lizard is hosting dinner with the two people that he's eaten and brought back to life right no there isn't and and but the other thing that i really liked about the scene is that I feel like it would have been easy and thus probably less fulfilling as a reader if Spencer kind of played this more cheaply, like for some like stupid laughs or goofy jokes. But like this was, you know, putting aside the the actual ridiculousness of lizard people having dinner in a sewer with Peter Parker and Mary Jane. um, I mean, this was a very honest family moment with with uh billy and his father and just kind of like them having to live with this new status quo and 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 dr connor's trying to kind of manage it but knowing because of how he screwed up previously that this is why their life is so different now like i like it felt like a real family crisis and struggle and and it felt very authentic to me despite the fact that uh, everything else about it is patently absurd. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. That's superhero comics for you. Yeah. I mean, I, what I like about it is that it keeps the themes of the lizard alive in a different way. You know, it's still kind of about you know Connor's dealing with his control issues. You know, like he's not so out of control as the guy who's trying to keep the lizard at bay. But now he's like trying to keep control of his lizard family, which inevitably will fail. For him, you know, like, Billy will go out and rejoin the world, and 
it's about him like kind of coming to grips with his legacy in a different way. It's like the it's the same thing, just kind of twisted in a new way. And I think if you can do that with villains, you keep them fresh and interesting. The same way we saw with like, you know, Otto, you know, whether it's like him being superior as Dr. Octopus or Spider-Man, you know, it, it's it's dealing with the same things that the character has always been about and and I thought that was really great. And and his his confession that he remains in the lizard around his family in order to make them feel less awkward is, you know, it's the kind of warmth and kindness that we've seen from Connors, but it also is kind of, you know, all, as always, born out of a place of, like, kind of selfishness and and his own kind of covering up for his own shortcomings and and, and uh, desire to take the shortcut as a scientist. Uh, so I found that all, this all very interesting and can't wait to see where it goes. Absolutely. Uh, agreed 100% on that. Um, what do you think about this offer for Peter to kind of join Connors? We've been kind of hemming and hawing around this for, like, 15 issues, and I— I'm kind of getting bored of it. Um, To skip ahead in the book, MJ confronts Peter about this and says, like, you know, are you going to do this? You know, you still have time, but, like, you seem to be not jumping at it. And Peter admits that it feels like a step back for him. You know, not that he's too old for it, but that he's already been there and done that and it's time to do something else. Do you think they're ultimately going to go with this decision or this is all a conversation to find a way for Peter to do something completely different? I don't I I, I mean, I I couldn't necessarily predict which I mean, like, I feel like, you know, the Chekhovian gun element is that he's going to do this in some fashion. But I, I, I kind of agree with his character here that it does kind of feel a little rote to me in terms of things that we've been there and done that. I mean, I don't know, like. You know, on one end, I don't know if we necessarily need to see um, Peter become a CEO or a mega inventor again. But, uh, you know, like I feel like, I don't know, sending them back to school just feels like I, I, I don't know what stories they could possibly do at this point. I Probably probably the least least amount of stories we got from Peter that I'd be interested in seeing a little more of are um, Peter the teacher. You know, <laughs> like... Like, that was still some of my favorite kind of, like, Peter professional slash, like, out-of-costume life stuff that we ever got. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how I feel about him kind of being back in a, in a, edu- you know, back in a, in, a, in a schooling setting for himself, even if he's helping out Dr. Connors. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think, like, you know, to Peter's point in this issue about his desire to not, not have to um, – shorthand the people that he's working with are for to go and save the world. Like he's trying to find a situation where all of this matches. And it's the kind of thing where like, you know, going back to teaching wouldn't work in that regard. We already saw how that played out, which was pretty disastrously, you know, and the horizon thing felt like the most obvious thing for where Peter would go, but we're definitely not going to head that direction again. So I don't really know what it is other than like seeing Peter do Uber, which we kind of saw in, like, issue two or three uh, of this run. So, like, I don't know what's going to provide him that kind of flexibility and take advantage of his own, you know, abilities other than kind of being an inventor on his own, which we kind of already saw. So, like, Spencer definitely had something in mind, I would imagine, but I'm not smart enough to figure out what it is. So, but I think we both agree that it seems like, even though this has been floated out there, he's probably not going to end up going the college route. 
Yeah. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the Aunt May stuff here? Because I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, we, we this, this is probably the first big May scene that we've had in a while, right? I mean, has this been... Is this Spencer's first real big May subplot? Or um, has did he do something earlier? I'm trying to remember my history here. I mean, we've seen her and Peter kind of get into that brief fight that was kind of undone in the first arc. Right. Where she kind of held him accountable for... Parker Industries in the first issue, but then kind of like relented again, again. But for me, this is like the first time a writer has decided, like since JMS has decided, like, here's a story for May that's May driven that, uh, you know, we're going to get in the pages of this book. Because we've got like, you know, her dating JJJ Sr., but like that wasn't really anything for her to do necessarily. Yeah, I mean, she's she's definitely got some more agency here. I mean, you know, I, I I do question some of her actions here feel a little out of character for me. But, I mean, we, we can discuss that in more detail in a second. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, it, it does seem like between this and also, like, um, the Friendly Neighborhood series that we're, we're, we're giving May some direction here, which she hasn't had for a while um, just as a whole. And that's, that's good to see because she's a good character. There's no way around it. She's an interesting long tenured character where you know we don't need to see may kind of be the albatross anymore so what like like let's give her some interesting stuff to do well let's talk about the friendly neighborhood which you just mentioned we haven't talked about it on the show we get this new b title coming out friendly neighborhood spider-man written by tom taylor and um mark i haven't talked to you about this at all in person either um what do you think about that title so far um the first issue was uh you know, I think a pretty declarative step in the direction that the the spectacular book was supposed to be occupying. In on in 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 my mind, what what did you think of this book? Yeah, I mean, it's much more grounded. I mean, we're not dealing with like the Teresa Parker stuff, which was like kind of you know kind of b- driving me batty when we were going through all that with you know, especially the way Spectacular was initially couched um, as a street level or 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 you know more Peter driven book. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, like I think I think the one exchange we did have about it was you had mentioned that it was very Paul Jenkins esque. Thinking back to Paul Jenkins when he wrote that run on uh, Peter Parker Spider Man uh, in the um, late '90s, early aughts, and I would agree with that. I feel like there's a very similar tone and 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 just kind of a you know focus on the supporting cast, but also like peter out of costume and peter the person i i i've i've been liking it so far probably liking it more than i liked the sadarsky spectacular stuff for the most part yeah i agree um i thought the second issue was kind of not as spectacular if you will um it would kind of got into this weird like i don't know if we're getting into aliens or whatever it is but the first issue to me was like oh my gosh this is exactly what i want from a b title like focus on you know, like small neighborhood stories where they build out like Peter. I know where Peter lives now, where in New York he lives. All the details we're not getting in the main book because it's got to kind of chart its own big, bold path. I thought the backup book was beautiful with Peter and MJ on like a date, like to having to hold in in matching Spider-Man gear. Um, and then the kind of admission by Aunt May that she has breast cancer was really quite surprising. Um, th- it started a big conversation in our Slack about this kind of revelation. Um, like, are they going to kill May again? Again? Uh, you know, and how, whether or not we find that to be kind of rote, uh, you know, or, or 
can you still threaten to kill Aunt May and have it um, have any meaning? And my thought is kind of, I don't think it's necessarily about killing Aunt May. It's like giving her something to fight through. You know, like, is is breast cancer going to reveal more about the character we didn't know before and give her something that's going to change her in a, in a particular way? Like Like anything that characters might go through, this just happens to be something that could actually kill you. What was your take on the whole breast cancer thing? Yeah, well, and also, I mean, the element of the fact that her nephew is no longer the CEO of this powerful company who can get her the top, the best treatment money can buy. I mean, you know, so that's going to probably be an underlying element to all this, too. I don't I don't necessarily think they're going to kill her off again. I think they're, they're I think they're just setting this up to be drama in Peter's life, another thing for him to feel guilty about um, and kind of tying up the loose ends of how the park, the whole Parker industry thing fell out. That's my, my take on it. And I thought this was much better handled than the Jonah stuff. I mean, this came in the first issue. There was a major revelation that, you know, if, if you wanted to pick up, you know, a, a B title and read about that, you can. It was immediately referenced in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. It just seems like everybody's kind of working together really well on this, as opposed to kind of spectacular, which really felt like this weird, like, appendix, uh, you know, to to the main book. And uh, I like how these are working together. It seems like editorial really understands, like, how to partner these things up. Like, I'm going to keep reading Friendly Neighborhood, it doesn't feel obviously as as essential, but it does feel like there's stuff I'm going to be missing out if I don't read that. Rather than time travel shenanigans and space aliens, you know, you, you really you know give me counter programming. Uh, so that made me happy, and then I was really happy to see all that reflected in this book with the additional complications that May is now broke uh, because you know John Jonah Senior you know, put all of his money into Parker Industries. And, you know, I imagine that will find its way back to Peter, who will feel guilty about it and feel like some responsibility for helping May out beyond the normal. And we've even gotten a solicit, I think, for Amazing Spider-Man. Or no, it's Friendly Neighborhood, I think, number five, where Aunt May confesses to Peter about the breast cancer thing. So it's coming down the pike for us somewhere here. But in the meantime, this is definitely kind of a... a in this comic, a uh, more edgier kind of uh, May than we're used to seeing. I mean, you know, she's slapping men around. Uh, she's she's busting out uh, holograms to scare off people. I mean, is that is that what you want to be seeing out of May? I mean, does that feel a little out of character to you? It feels out of character only because I feel like it's been a long time since we've seen this version of May. To me, this version of May is like the JMS May, like the post I know. Peter is Spider-Man May, where she kind of felt a little more brazen about her kind of safety and and her attitude towards people. I feel like this is that May, and I'm happy to see that May back because that was the last time I felt May was really truly well-written. Mm. But yeah, in, in terms of like the brand new day and Dan Slot run, I feel like this does not really seem like the May we've been getting. Does that sound accurate to you? I know you've wrinkled at this a little bit more than I did. Well, no, I, I think that's fair. I mean, it's it's you know, when you're used to a character being written a certain way for so long, you kind of forget, you know, prior to the 10 years ago that she was different. I mean, she was a lot different in the JMS run, but 
we have not seen that in a very long time. So, yeah, some of the stuff we saw here kind of seemed a little out of whack for me. But again, like everything else uh, with this run so far, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in wait and see mo- mode and benefit of the doubt. And, you know, especially in concert with Friendly Neighborhood, you know, let's see where this goes. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to admit, I did get a chuckle out of like I, what I imagine is like the spider monster from Spider Island that people were turning into, like scaring these guys. It's kind of a weird, like, uh, I don't know if it, the book really acknowledges it, but like to me, it was like, of course, everybody would be terrified of that because everyone lived through the most terrifying thing ever, which is everyone turning into spider monsters. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I thought that was a kind of clever, uh, you know, look, look back at, at at some history there. Right. And then, of course, here is also where we get the, the, the Ned Leeds moment we referred to earlier. So Ned Leeds is back for something. We'll see what. <laughs> yeah, I like that he seems to be going through some kind of like dissociative identity thing where he like, you know, was a guy that didn't exist. And then suddenly he existed i don't know if he remembers the events of the clone conspiracy Mm. because like he was definitely there to some regard so like i did he does he know the jackal and all of that i'm kind of curious to see you know in the annual he seemed very aware of who he was and his relationship to people um but here he's much more run down he's like i've become this homeless person it became my new identity um, and I imagine May and Peter or whoever discovers in this story arc that it is Ned Leeds will start to lead him back to who he was before, a perfectly bland character. Um, you know, maybe we'll get something actually interesting with Ned Leeds this time. And, or maybe this will be Ned's opportunity to strike back against how the Hobgoblin wronged him. Oh, there you go. Or the the foreigner or something like that. Uh uh, I would be down for like a restoring the Hobgoblin to his rightful place as not a goofy side character, as Bendis wrote him for like an arc or two. Uh, I, I'm ready for a serious Hobgoblin story again. So if Ned Leeds is how I get it, I'm here for it. But in the meantime, I think the character's being written in an interesting way. Um, and I was going to ask you, when did you come to the re- realization that it was Ned Leeds? But apparently it was... Minutes before the show started. Yeah, it was about a half hour ago, Dan. So uh, yeah. <laughs> congratulations. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, to kind of put a bow on this, this this fun little uh, brouhaha at the restaurant with uh, Taskmaster, Black Ant, and then the Rhino. Rhino looks great here. And this was fun. This was, this was even, you know, even the art, which I know I had issues with in other parts of the book. This felt like a lot of fun to me. Good, good, good rumble. You know, every very kind of some really creative um, pages here from Bacalo. Um, you know, like what, what, the the best you could possibly expect out of a, a Taskmaster Black Ant fight, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, at this point, we've gotten so many of these. Like, I'm always looking for something unique, and I thought the the Black Ant punching the Rhino's giant head was was fun way to play with scale. You know, it reminded me of like the uh, the brand new day Rage of the Rhino covers with the giant, you know, head coming through. Um, there's certainly some of that in, in this book. Uh, yeah, I thought this was fine and fun. I I thought his Spider Man looked kind of odd. He's kind of like chunky. I, I don't know how to put it. <laughs> um, he it's just weirdly kind of like parsed. Um, I've always kind of been back and forth on how Bacalo does like coloring and textures. He'll sometimes find like pictures and like overlay them under his like very sparse inks 
Sometimes it works for me, and sometimes it doesn't. And I feel like in this book, it was like a mixed affair, you know, because he does his own, like all of his own art. And I, you know, I feel like he kind of cuts some shortcuts sometimes. But um, uh, yeah, this was fun, and I liked, you know, Spider Man's jokes and his, like, you know, oh, May Parker, you're here kind of thing. And seeing her stand up for herself was cool. You know, if I was facing breast cancer and suddenly was facing death, maybe she feels a little empowered. You know, uh, by, you know, kind of getting almost like a, you know, coming face to face with death in some way. Right. Well, clearly she's going to die because, you know, that gun blast at the end. Right. I mean, this is the end of Aunt May. Right. Absolutely. I mean, if I was more cynical, I would say that Ned Leeds is going to jump in front of her and take the bullet. But I also don't think they're going to kill Ned Leeds off already. Yeah. So I'm sure there'll be some other conceit to block the blast. I mean, this is another you know, not terribly thrilling comic book ending, even if it was, like, you know, rendered really beautifully. Gotcha. Any other thoughts on this issue before we give a score? Well, I did want to draw special attention because it drew attention to itself was the letters page, which we haven't seen in, like, 15 issues or something. And the book admits as such, like, Nick Lowe admits as such, like, sorry, we haven't seen the letters page. We're going to be trying to bring it back more often and I feel like they say that every five minutes. <laughs> that they're going to keep bringing this letters page back. And it's never true. But I love the letters page, especially when they print negative letters like they did here, where someone was like, this book is truly terrible, which was a little shocking because I don't – I have not heard that echoed anywhere. So – and then there's some other people that I recognize, like Chitown Spidey, who's a guy on Twitter that I recognize all – see all the time, had a letter in there. So that was kind of neat. I don't know. I'm always looking out for people I know in the letters page. I, I love the letters page. I wish it would stay around. I don't know why some books have it every other week, and then books like Spider-Man never have it. I, I, I don't get that. Well, you've made how many appearances on the letters page, Dan? Three now. There you go. So that's three more than I have. So How many letters have you written? Zero. So there you go. There you go. You got to throw the line out there if you want to catch some fish, Mark. That's true. That's true. All right, so- I've I, I've alluded to this a number of times, but I'll give a clue. If you want to see my picture in the letters page of a uh, comic, one of the comics I appear in uh, is very much related to the events of this issue. I'll say that. <laughs> there you go. What's your score, Dan? I'm giving this one a B. I'm going to give it a B minus. Just again, some of the art didn't work for me, so I'll just notch it a little below yours. So I want to go higher on it. My big thing about this book that I didn't say is that, like, it's not very Peter-centric, you know? I feel like a lot of these Nick Spencer books have been not really about Peter as much. We get some great scenes with him, um, but it really seems still like we're setting up the table. We're putting all the villains and, you know, supporting cast characters in their place, and inherently you can take more risks with the supporting cast characters than you can with Peter, but, like, I feel like a lot of these stories aren't really, like, driven by Peter's narrative. And I, I would like to see that kind of – if I'm going to give this book an A, it's got to really be kind of, like, Peter-driven. All right. That makes sense to me. Like I said, I thought this was good setup, but there's a couple of things that kind of move it from being too remarkable from my end. So that's where, I, that's where I'm at where I'm at. So – Dan, thanks to our patrons on Patreon, because without them, we would never have gotten that awesome review. But fear not, listeners at home, there's more where that came from, including this awesome review of Amazing Spider-Man number 15. Mark and Dan, Mark and Dan, just two guys talking Spider-Man. They're two guys who know the angles, two 
Hey, Dan, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Mark, we're a little bit delayed. You and I lives have kind of been all over the place. You just bought a home. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's, it's, it's my very own, um, as, you, as you texted me, it is my amazing fantasy coming to, tr- coming to true, right? Coming to life. <laughs> nothing like having a mortgage for the rest of your life. Exactly. There's, there's nothing that says fantasy like being in debt up to your ears and, <laughs> for the next 30 years and then some. Wonderful. Well, you know, so because we're delayed, we're, we're back now to talk about uh, amazing Spider-Man number 15 or Legacy 816. It's got this inventory Paulo Rivera cover on it. It was fine. Yeah, that was a cromulent cover, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and in it, we've got kind of the follow-up to the story we had last time. Mark, what did you think of this one? I mean, this is this was a pretty interesting story uh, in terms of setting up this big Craven arc that's been building for a while. Um, but, you know, there was also some kind of weird problematic stuff in it, both narratively and artistically visually so yeah why don't why don't we just go right into it um i mean you know this billy connor's uh storyline that's been going on here i mean you know definitely definitely seems suspicious wouldn't you say i think he's for sure being catfished Uh, yeah i I, I don't know by whom maybe it's the craven and his team and they're trying to use him to lure the lizard out or something like that but i'm sure it is not all uh just other kids trying to hang out with this lizard boy. Right. I mean, my my first instinct is Craven, but then does Craven know that Billy is alive again? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it's it's that 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 to me might be up in the air, but but and and who knows that Billy's alive again? I guess that's the other issue. Unless it's another clone, I don't know. But it it, it definitely seems um kind of kind of squidgy here, but it was a good good to kind of come to that uh right away in this story kind of I don't want to say tie a bow on it, but kind of keep 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 the the storyline progressing a bit and the mystery going, uh, and then we go right into, of course, Spider Man and the restaurant where May is presumed dead. Right? I mean, she's got to be dead, Dan. Uh, when it, <laughs> when Under when rubble, too. Who could have imagined? I know. I mean, you know, what a way to go! Just after announcing she's got cancer, she's going to die in a rubbly fight because Spider Man couldn't save her. Right. This is kind of like one of those instances where, like, the bullet dodged around her and hit something else. It's like it was clearly going straight for her and Ned, who we got confirmed here that it was Ned. And somehow both of them weren't hit, but the restaurant was. But that bullet found a way to Ned either way. Yeah, that's one one magic bullet, Dan. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, Spider-Man kind of dives into the wreck and tries to unbury her and in the process kind of leaves the rhino behind all after beating up the Taskmaster. You know, I'm going to get right to it. Like, I thought this was kind of unspectacular. Bacalo's art, I found very difficult to follow. I mean, obviously he's beating up the Taskmaster, but any of the specific details of that, which there should be considering it's the Taskmaster, right? Like his whole thing is specific details. Yeah, I'm. I mean, no. Yeah, I mean, he 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 is. A, what is he? Is a, a, a mnemonic a mnemonic fighter or whatever it is? Or a, a, he he mimics and and I I don't know. I I kind of have a soft spot for the Tac Master because I feel like when he is used uh, well, it lends itself to a lot of visual fun. It lends itself to a lot of storyline fun. I mean, because he's like someone who you, on first blush you don't think he can like hang with the 
hang with the big guns, but he can because of his abilities. His abilities kind of lend itself to making him a tougher out than it sh- than he should be. And, you know, it just feels like he just kind of gets his butt kicked. And, it, it you know, like Spencer gets, I thought, a little bit of funny dialogue here about, you know, with the black ant kind of mocking Taskmaster, like, oh, man, that's pretty embarrassing for you, which got a chuckle out of me. But, like, you know, this is kind of like akin to spider-verse and watching like all the inheritors get beat up off panel you know what i mean like like let's let's have a fun taskmaster fight here and we didn't do it and that's to me that's a missed opportunity and like you said the art is just very kind of mushy and unclear to me and 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 not very dynamic or inspiring at all we just kind of we're more focused on spider-man and the rubble i mean that's that's another thing that i kind of found problematic with this whole thing then it's like we're just like both storyline and visually just laser focused on Spider-Man going through the rubble trying to find May and it just it's like almost a little too much does that make sense yeah I, I it's one of my notes here is like he seems w- like you know obviously he really cares about May but I've I've never seen him so like negligent of the others around him you know like I mean there, there's a you know a good moment where it's like okay he can save May or the rhino and he's just like aware that like look I may have to let the rhino go, but he'll be okay in some form, I imagine. You know, he knows he's going to get blowback from that. And, you know, we get another resetting of the status quo, which is Nick Spencer going, I didn't really want the rhino to be a good guy, so here he is. He's going to go back to hating Spider-Man. But, like, it was weird to see him, you know, I guess more towards the latter half of the issue where he, like, saves May and Allstetter, but, like, leaves Ned behind. You know, I was like... Would he do that? I I don't know. I feel like I've seen him save more than two people at a time. But for me, the bigger thing was more like he's undigging all this uh, rubble and we're clearly getting, you know, another lifting moment a la Amazing Spider-Man 33. And we've got, you know, this kind of build up on this page, which I didn't love from Bacalo. It's like half the page is empty white space with kind of like cramped imagery. And I'm like, okay, he's doing Dicko. And then you get the page turn and Spider-Man's not like lifting it. He's just kind of pushing it to his side. And I just thought, you know, if you're going to build me up like that, give me a big dramatic splash. Uh, I just didn't think that the art impressed. Like if you're going to turn the page, I better be wowed by that moment. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And it's almost like, you know, like you said, they were clearly going for the Dicko uh, motif, but then, you know, obviously Spider-Man lifting rubble gets used a ton in this in this series and in other media. Uh, so, you know, I wonder if they like got gun shy. Well, we don't want to totally do the lifting thing again, but instead we kind of got like this mealy in between thing, which, like you said, really didn't execute anything to a great degree. You know what I mean? Like it just kind of like happened and and again like it's just this this whole thing visually i i know we're in rubble i know we're in tight corners and stuff like that but like you know go back to marcos martin and and the unscheduled stop storyline with spider-man underground in the subway car it's cramped it's filled with lots of people and that to me is just so much more visually arresting than what this is this is just like to me it's hard to follow um you know, there's no chances being taken. It just kind of feels very safe and and paint by numbers and to a degree in terms of how the how the action is is uh, delineated. I'm just not feeling it. And and yeah, like I said, you know, just going back to your earlier point about being able to save more than two people, it, it just 
I don't know if you're if you're going to go back to some old tropes of Spider-Man. I, I I like Spider-Man having to maybe sometimes make the harder choice and and potentially sacrifice May. To me, that's more speaks truly to who Spider-Man is. Him being so laser focused on May, I feel it gets around who Spider-Man is. That's not you know like we like. That's the whole point. It's like he's trying to protect the ones he loves, but his his responsibility is sometimes bigger than that. And and this was a missed opportunity to to that degree. Yeah, I don't disagree. Although I do like nearly everything that's done with May in this issue, right? She's kind of in this pocket bubble underneath the rubble, and she's saving people and thinking about others other than herself. And not only is that kind of like showing gumption, you know, the Parker gumption, but She's kind of demonstrating all of the morals that Spider-Man typically uh, portrays. And, you know, in the context of knowing that May has breast cancer, all of this suddenly takes on new meaning, or at least like an elevated meaning that it might not otherwise. And, I, I you know, I'm already seeing like the breast cancer thing, not as like a cheap gimmick, but like, you know, if we're going to use May in stories and this is going on, it, it does make it more interesting in some way. I can see her putting others before herself, and whether she knows she's going to die or go through a long struggle, it does seem that she has approached a bit of more of a holistic view uh, towards like her place in the world. And you know, maybe I'm reading into it, but it does seem like those things are going together pretty well. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And yeah, I mean, this is definitely more akin to the JMS uh, version of May uh, or like the Ultimate Universe version of May. I mean, it's good to, you know, she really doesn't need the saving here, even though Spider-Man was like going in there like a bat out of hell, you know. So um, it was a good that was a good, good twist. Um, but then, alas, poor Ned Leeds. Right. And, and, and we get yet another. Well, I'll let you speak to this because you're on Twitter already talking about this. What, what does Ned do before his untimely end, Dan? Right, so, like, they're trying to get out there. Ned's warning of the ceiling caving in, which, of course, it does. And Ned pushes May and her, like, not-date-date Allstetler uh, away, and he gets crushed under the rubble, not before saying, look out, or shouting, look out, which I've already harped on this a number of times before. We got in, you know, the first story arc, Peter sacrificing himself to save... Spider-Man from a giant, like, tri-sentinel laser, and he shouts, look out, and we got Boomerang sacrificing himself in the Boomerang story arc after that, where he jumps in front of uh, the Scorcher's fire blast and saves Peter, and then now we've got this, and they're all very reminiscent of Captain Stacy saving the child before he dies while shouting, look out. And I have to think, like, I know Nick Spencer is a smart writer and he's, you know, I I don't know whether he's just likes this trope or he likes to make an homage to that moment or if he's doing something here. Like what what I said on Twitter was I'm going to have to keep a lookout over this to see if it goes anywhere. But like, I'm on to you, Nick Spencer. I know what you're doing. I see the lookouts. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm um, Ching. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely an interesting visual homage. I mean, you know, we were just talking a few seconds ago about lifting rubble and how often that gets used and probably overused to a degree. But the, but the lookout thing doesn't get used often enough for me to not think there's something to what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like, like it's a great classic moment, probably one of the best single issues of Spider-Man ever, but, or at least one of the greatest moments 
in a Spider-Man issue. It's Spider-Man. not on our essentials list, Mark. I know. Let's well, let's let's not get into that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> essentials two, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of people that will be very excited by you and joking about that. Okay, okay. Well, we'll we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, we did we did dedicate a whole episode to it in season two. So it's true. Uh, it's true. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the whole lookout thing. It's a great moment, so it's kind of funny that it has not been been homaged. I feel as frequently. I mean, as some of the other kind of standard Spidey moments that we've seen over the years. So, but to use that so frequently over the span of four, you know, fifteen issues. I mean, there's something to it. Whether that's you know, are we, are we building to some kind of ultimate sacrifice? But what, is Peter going to sacrifice himself? I mean, you know, are we gonna are we gonna get dead Peter again? I don't know. I mean, so what's what's it what's it coming to, Dan? What do you think? I really have no idea. I just want to keep an eye on it because he, he's a, Nick Spencer's a, a writer who pays attention to the details, and this is a detail that I can't think is by accident. Right. But let's talk about the elephant in the room here, Mark. Ned Leeds' second death. Yeah, I know. And, and, and pretty as inglorious as the first one, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think, like, you know, Peter's saving of Ned is pretty cool. But I got, I got to admit, I was kind of disappointed that Ned died so quickly. Like, it seems clear to me that Nick Spencer wasn't keen on keeping him around and didn't really want to, like, yes and Dan Slott's you know, idea of bringing Ned back and wanted to move to a different plot, which is like he uses, he ends one plot and uses it to set up another, which is like good storytelling, right? You know, you, he teases the Betty stuff, like she's in trouble in, in some way. But like for me, for to have Dan Slott go through the trouble of bringing back a core cast member, like that's something you shouldn't do very often. And that the work was done for that. And then so, discarded in in this way in a very minor way before anybody really even realized that he was back like peter even mentions i'm not going to tell betty about this because i don't want her to get upset over something she doesn't even need to know about it's like it's a missed opportunity i think i mean uh what how would you feel about it yeah i agree i mean like to me the only the only potential catch or caveat to that is if the fact that Peter doesn't reveal this comes back to haunt him in some way. You know what I mean? Like, like Ned, and I don't even know how that is. I I don't think that's what, what, what Spencer is going for here. It's very clear to your point that he's just trying to get rid of, you know, get rid of this storyline. He doesn't, he's clearly not interested in playing with it. Um, So, but I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll be surprised and it'll come back in a weird kind of way and boomerang, uh, Peter in a way that causes conflict with him and Betty, but yeah. It, it, otherwise, if you take it at face value here, it's disappointing. We really didn't get um, any resolution to it. I mean, I I wasn't necessarily looking forward to Ned Lee's being back, but he, you know, if you have him, why not use him? It's kind of <laughs> we haven't seen Harry Lyman in a while either, so I I don't know what's going on there. You know, like 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 why not use some of these characters? But you know, it just seems like. That's not the priority here. And it's not like Dan Slott's version of Ned was really on a crash course with our characters. Like, last we saw him was he was discarding a beard disguise in the park. Like, clearly up to his own thing and not wanting to get involved more directly with the, the main cast of the book. 
So, like, if this character never appeared in Spencer's run and allowed another writer to play with him down in the future, like, why not allow it, you know, to to work out that way? I, I mean, look, we, I just said last episode that, like, I'm in a more wait-and-see attitude with Nick Spencer because he seems to, like, keep bringing stuff back over and over again. Like, do I think this is the last we're going to hear from Ned? It seems like it, but, um, you know, may, you're right, like, I said, like you said, maybe I'm wrong. But I have to say, like, yeah, I, I thought that's disappointing because also I felt like the tease for Betty is so vague, it doesn't really give me enough to get interested in. I'm like, oh, Betty's in some vague trouble. I'm like, isn't that just essentially always the case? Like, I'm not really, like, throwing up a flare right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, it's like it's it's like he doesn't know what that story is, so he wasn't going to get into much more detail about it. Right. Um, I mean, I'm sure he does, but it, it's like give me something a little more to chew on here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's I mean, I guess the only red p- potential red flag is Betty is in Europe, as we know, and that's of course where Ned died back in the day. So maybe are we going to come around full circle on that? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't think anybody's itching for the foreigner to reappear. <laughs> like, it'd be nice to get him in a room and be like, "Okay, can you explain what happened with the Ned thing? Like, why he's was like, in the, he in the hobgoblin pajamas? What's going on here?" He's like, "Nobody can except for Peter David and Christopher Priest." And we tried to get Christopher Priest to explain it, and you all heard what happened in the two hundredth episode. So, yeah, and I'm still getting crap from Ron friends about that. <laughs> Um, so with that out of mind, we 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 tie up uh, another bow with May here. We're we're getting May back with the feast. Um, the 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 what what do you call it? The like the shelter that she worked at with during the Mister Negative days during Brand New Day. Uh, good good little comeback around to this, right? It's nice to give May something to do. Yeah, she's been so you know I was giving you vague money and stuff, and like I don't know how she's going to have the money to reopen feast, but like. To me, I liked when she was in Feast, and I, I felt like it was a great way to get her involved with kind of more street-level stuff with Spider-Man. Like, if Spider-Man's not going to be with the newspaper, like, he can always go to the homeless shelter and find out what's happening around town. Yeah. You know, I, I think, especially in the video game, they really used Feast for that purpose. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I think it serves as a good kind of in-between, like, Peter being a teacher and finding out about his students and Peter using the newspaper and finding out about the city. Like, if Feast comes back in that way, it's going to allow May to be more active. I just think it's a good place for that character. Yeah. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe this brings Mr. Negative back into things. I don't know. He's not dead, right? My my. my- talking about bringing back a dead character no he is not dead but okay. I, I, I love the idea of him coming back and being like i own the copyright on the feast name yeah <laughs> that's his big bone to pick there you go there's got to be something there well he's in the video like you said he's in the video game right so i mean yeah. there would be a hook to bring him back so anyway sure there's a whole audience of people that had never heard of mr negative before but suddenly know him yeah yeah so that you know but 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 before we get back into a villain like Mr. Negative, we we end this issue with this big setup with Craven, where he is getting your uh, from your from your favorite story of all time, Secret Empire, Dan, uh, the Planetary <laughs> Shield. I like Secret Empire. I finally read it a few months ago, and I, I do agree with you. It's a great. It was a great series. It got I feel unfairly uh, maligned by people. I think uh, it's the best event for, since Secret Wars. Uh, I would probably. Oh, I would agree with that un- unquestionably. I, I, I found it 
in some ways better than Secret Wars. But anyway, but yeah, so we're getting the planetary shield, but we're do we think he's using it just on Central Park or the entire New York City? To me, that was a little unclear from the ending, but like he's going to use it more localized. That's the bottom line. Yeah, my, my suspicion was that it was just Central Park, right? I mean, we've seen several Craven, early Craven stories where he lures Spider-Man to Central Park. It seems to me like, you know, the implication is Central Park and he's going to release all of these animal-themed characters and just hunt them down one by one. That's what I imagine the story's about. Yeah, I mean, certainly a big and robust storyline for Craven, but and even Arcade is like, wow, wow, you're really going over the top here, buddy. But like, it could, <laughs> there's a lot of fun and potential in that, like kind of locking Spider-Man in a cage with all these animal-themed villains and Craven. Like, lots of fun can come from that. I think. Even I think Grim Hunt took place in Central Park, so it's it's kind of a like central ground for Craven to do what he does. Right. But I guess the planetary shield just makes it impossible for any help to get in. That's going to be the, 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 the catch to this one, right? Right. It's like Spider-Man, but under the dome. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> if we get Spider-Man in some kind of weird leather thong, I'm all there for it. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> any, any, you want to do grades? Yeah, sure. Uh, this one's like a B- minus to me. Yeah, that's that's right. What I was thinking, Dan. B minus. I mean, you know, some some of the demerits, but like also some fun stuff. And I'm look, I, I'm looking forward to this Craven story. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I, 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 we we haven't had a really good, fun, knockdown, drag out, multi part arc with just like a villain like Craven in a really long time. Yeah, I think the entire like Nick Spencer run for the most part. Like this is the villain that we've been craving. I hate that I said that now. Crave, you're craving, craving. <laughs> I am. I am. I, I. That was a slip of the tongue. Do not blame me for that one. Mark, as I'm talking to you right now, Hunted is already half done. But let's take a look back at how it all started in our review of Amazing Spider-Man number 16. What's new? I'm really excited to talk about this issue, Mark, because it's a really strange issue of Amazing Spider-Man. And those are always the ones that get the best reactions out of us, I think. Truly, truly. And and I mean, not for nothing, this is, I feel like this is the, the, the kickoff of the Hunted storyline uh, by Nick Spencer. We got some art from Ryan Otley here. And, and this is, we you know, we've been building towards this for a while. This feels like this is the truly, the first real big Spencer's story of this run after 16 issues, um, you know, with Slot, we've had Spider Island and Spider-Verse and uh, Clone Conspiracy. So this is Spencer's turn to kind of really tell a big, long form, long game story. Uh, and it was certainly, like you said, uh, interesting first chapter. <laughs> and I feel about this issue kind of how I feel about like a lot of Nick Spencer's run, which is like it's totally solid and like I get it. It seems to have a real kind of like clear mission and goal for where it's heading in some ways, even if it's not all revealed yet. And yet, structurally, 
I have real questions about it, and it makes me wonder, like, is editorial totally absent? And, like, how are these books being arranged chronologically? Like, I just, it's it's less a complaint about this issue and more like a, why didn't we get a lot of this stuff earlier? And so, like, I don't know, Mark, do you feel similarly and just want to jump right into the first really odd thing in this book? Yeah, I, you know, in terms of the teases, like, I mean, we, we finally get the reveal involving uh, the hunter, uh, the, the the poacher that uh, gets uh, attacked by Craven the Hunter way back when, uh, what was this, like issue five that we saw this little cameo or something like that? Or was it even earlier than that? It was like little bits from two through five, right? And ultimately we got the Craven reveal in five. I mean, I don't know if I needed to get like more than what we got in those stories. But I also feel like based on what we ultimately end up getting in this story, like I don't quite get why we needed to tease it the way we did. Like there probably would have been more interesting thing to teases, including to me, what was the first most problematic thing about the story, which was kind of when we get the backstory of where this all was headed. I, I, I kind of want to jump to that. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. 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 Let's get right to it because I, 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 do not understand why this book was structured this way. Yeah, so I mean, we get this. You know, we're, we're, we basically, you know, for the for the synopsis of sixteen, we, this is where Craven's plan gets laid out uh, in terms of what he's been doing for the last fifteen issues and all these little like cameos and stuff like that. What you know, what he was doing with Arcade the last few issues prior to this. Uh, this is you know, we get the backstory, and but we start with. This like outrageous story that's almost like framed like a recap page, right? Like it felt like a recap, but this was all new content because I don't remember the story at all, right? I the whole time I was reading it, I was like, "What book did I miss where this happened?" And I'm really good about keeping up with Craven, right? Like he had a Ven- he was in the Venom book, he's been in Squirrel Girl, and he's like appeared, you know, in Captain America. He was hired to hunt down Captain America during the Mark Wade run, and I was like, "Okay, I'm fully up on Craven." Like he went to jail. There was a lot of stuff going on with him, but. Reading this, I was like, this can't possibly be new here. It's, 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 it's couched between real stuff we'd actually read in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man from, like, Craven's Last Hunt to Grim Hunt to all the things we'd seen in, like, the, the Scarlet Spider, you know, story where, you know, he became not immortal anymore. And then we get this stuff with him, like, finding the high evolutionary which you know you're going in the right direction in a Spider-Man comic when the high evolutionary shows up. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to paint in broad strokes here, Dan, but there are not many, if any, uh, Spider-Man comics involving the high evolutionary that I've ever walked away from being like, that was a good comic. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, you know, I, I, again, I think of the high evolutionary. I mean, this is a, this is, this is stuff from like the, the drugged out cosmic era of Spider-Man comics, uh, not Spider-Man comics of Marvel comics. Uh, and I, I just never saw where the fit was in Spider-Man when he's made his appearances there. Uh, but we get, like you said, this outlandish story that I think you're right. What was so, disarming about it and and structurally weird about it was we get this we start the setup with recapping actual moments that we recognize like craven suicide and then the grim hunt stuff like you said the scarlet spider stuff 
But then we go into this wacky tale of what well, he's basically creating. Well, they're not clones, right? I mean, would you call are they clone? Are they considered clones? Do they use the c word? It's like he's got a like a dozen Boba Fetts of his own, you know, yeah. where he's got these like rapidly aging clones of himself that he's training this like army of cravens, and ultimately they kind of all go off on their own hunts, only to be killed off by I don't know. Let's call him like Craven Junior. Yeah. Um, this this one remaining Craven character, yeah, who kills all the other Cravens. And it's like the prodigal son returns. And for me, it's like, uh, you know, going back to issues two through five, you know, though we, we complained about how uneventful those teases were and how obvious they were that it was Craven. But like, you know, th- that recap in this issue comes back to like him being like, you know what? I'm not going to kill you, dude. I'm going to, you know, make you a hunter, you know? And like that would have been actually a really intriguing tease at the end of issue five, where it's like, oh, it's not what you're expecting. Craven's going to train other hunters. Or even this, like, have this whole clone thing build up for a little while, and then have him be like, you know what? Like, I'm sending all of my sons out on their own hunts, right? So then you get to this issue, and you have the kid come back, and he's killed all the other Cravens. Like, there was a way to set this up earlier, and then have it kind of reappear here with it wouldn't be so jarring but to get this enormous complicated history and resolve it in this way it's it's too much for me to handle honestly and i like my comics weird and to me this felt like an issue of invincible with like really big bold strange comic theory ideas but like spider-man's always been grounded and craven's always kind of been grounded like to me i mean to the extent that he can be coming back from the dead, this was just like a bridge too far to like cover in a recap. Yeah. But even the way he comes back from the dead is it's kind of a ritualistic thing given and given like kind of the premise of the character, that always made sense to me. And given like 30 issues of buildup. Yeah. Well that too. But like you said, yeah, I mean like, like if you're going to tease anything from this story, why like do this like very, unrevealing tease about this poacher for the last umpteen issues and not like you said like stuff like oh wow there are like copies of craven running around what does that mean you know what i mean or 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 oh craven is recruiting other hunters what could that mean or like it just it just doesn't make sense and like you know like i'm not trying to i'm gonna give this story a fuller chance to kind of wow me here dan but like just the 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 general plan that he's doing here, it doesn't, it just, I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't get what the, what the pull is here. So he's, he's been rounding up, obviously, these animal-like villains, but like, like I was like, oh, so he's going to like put them like all in a jungle with Spider-Man and, you know, like set them after Spider-Man, but it's like, no, that's not either, right? It's, it's like, he's having these, these, no, he's trying to have these poachers like to do it the noble way and go after these these villains because they're not noble either? Like, is that... like It doesn't make sense to me, Dan. It's not working. Something is not clicking here for this story. Yeah, I agree with you. The only thing that keeps me, like, somewhat hesitant about really, like, coming down is that, like, Craven Jr. doesn't really seem to get it either. He's like, I don't understand what you're doing. I think Craven ultimately, there's some other plan going on, which is, you know, like... I mean, he obviously seems to me, like, to be, like, almost sarcastically 
hyping up these people, although he you know, suggests that he understands their their motives, right? Like, everybody wants to be a hunter. It's base man instinct, which has kind of cr- always been Craven's kind of thing. And he's trying to leave, like, a legacy behind. So it, it seems to me almost like he's trying to be corrective in some way. You, you know, he's like, I can't, I can't beat man's nature to hunt, so I might as well, like, teach it to operate the right way and kind of punish these people who are taking on the animalistic characters of animals. Although to me, I don't understand how black ant is working for Craven. Like, (laughs) right. Like, doesn't that go against the very credo? So like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there'll be a point in the story where taskmaster turns on black ant and and Craven orders him to capture black ant. I mean, it's like, he's got an animal in his name. Uh, Right. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's, I, I mean, I get what you're saying, and like, a, and and you know, to that point, I'm not ready to like bail on this story. But like, between just the weird, the weirdness of how these these reveals are treated, to you know, the high evolutionary to Boba Fett, Craven, like, I, I I was expecting a lot more of this master plan to to feel kind of diabolical. Like, I don't even get what the threat to Spider Man is. Like, what is like like. Did you walk away from this comic being like, oh, man, how is Spidey going to get out of this? No. And the only person who brings up Spider-Man is Craven Jr. You know, he's like, we're going to kill the spider together. And then I'm going to take my like rightful place at, you know, at, at the top of the Craven legacy. And to me, that's interesting. You know, like, right. how do you top Craven's last hunt? Will you have a Craven kill not only Spider-Man, but Craven as well? You know what I mean? Right? Like, don't let Craven kill himself. Have another Craven kill Craven and Spider-Man. Boy, right. I'm just saying Craven a lot. But that, <laughs> does, that doesn't even seem to be the, the threat here, right? Like, it almost seems like in, if Spider-Man's involved in this, it'll be somewhat incidental. Yeah. You know? like, I, it seems like it's moving on without him already. Right. I mean, it's kind of like that scene in uh, Austin Powers where, like, Scott Evil's like, let's just take a gun and shoot him, Dad. And he's like, nah, nah, nah. I don't want to do it like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I imagine that at some point Spider Man will find his way, you know, in here and they'll capture him to include him in the hunt or something. But, or like, he'll go in to save Billy Connors or something. But, yeah, yeah, it, you're right. It, it, it's like, okay, like, in Spider-Man's world, like, would it be so bad that Kraven is hunting all of these villains in some way? Right. I mean, you know, it's not like outside of Rhino that he's got any kind of benevolent connection to these guys. So what's the point? You know, <laughs> like, it just seems it just seems very odd to me. Yeah. I mean, outside of that mention, we don't we, we barely see Spider-Man in this comic, which I mean, like, I'm not opposed to that. We have plenty of good comics over the years. Even recently, there was like a couple of good like Norman Osborn uh, stories that really didn't have any Spider-Man in it. Like, I feel like this was a case of like, like, again, I don't even know what the threat to Spider-Man was supposed to be. Like, what is supposed to make me read this as a Spider-Man person, as someone who wants to, who reads Spider-Man comics to see how does he, how does he get out of this? And how does he come back from this? And, and how are we going to torture Spider-Man some more? It's almost the opposite of the Dan Slott era, which is like Dan Slott's ideas were always pretty clear. You know, like, it's like, it's the clone conspiracy. It's about clones. And, you know, and it's like, you know, Spider Island, the Jackal wants to turn everybody into Spider-Man and, you know, like, yeah. th- they were always pretty clear. And then it was the details where it kind of fell apart. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I-, I have more faith in Nick Spencer in regards to the details, but I don't think he's presenting 
his conflict entirely clearly here. Even if I feel like, okay, I know where all the pieces are. I just don't know really what they're after. Right. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is, and this is this was, of course, something that drove some fans crazy about him. But like, you know, Dan Slott always had a penchant for how can I torture Peter more? You know what I mean? Like, like, how do I turn the screw against Spider-Man some more? And like that, that kind of like almost like sickness to torture the main character drove the bulk of his hundred plus issues on on Spider-Man. And yeah, like you said, like I. Is Spider-Man truly going to outside of Billy Connors? Is Spider-Man truly going to mind this situation? <laughs> like, like you said, I feel like at this point his involvement is incidental. You know, it's going to be like, oh, I guess I got to do this. Like, so, I, 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 like, I feel like more should have been done in this issue to kind of set up. And why should Spider-Man care? This issue is kind of like a, a stand-in for me of like all the troubles I've had with the Spencer run so far, which is like. Spider-Man's involvement seems incidental and there's no personal stakes for him other than say like the first issue and the storytelling like weaves between like weird narration and montage and stuff in ways that just don't it doesn't hold together like it's like is this a flashback is it a montage how much am I supposed to invest in this it just seems a little all over the place so like I I, I can I can like it and and see that it's competent overall but like you know, it's 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 like, oh, it's just it doesn't really hang together. And I, and I wonder, like, again, like if these are just meant to be read in a trade, you know, they really they really the single issue format. has just kind of been I don't know, even in a double sized issue like this, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, do you want to talk about the backup story? Sure. I, I do want to note uh, before we get to the backup that despite all that, I did I did feel like Otley's artwork was a plus on this. I like seeing Otley back on this. It, it, I think like his kind of hyper stylized version of this kind of lent to the weirdness of it, even though <laughs> I was kind of not into the weirdness of the narrative, at least like the art kind of matched it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. I mean, his high evolutionary looked like something straight out of the pages of Invincible. Like I really felt like reading this. I was reading like even just like narration wise, it felt like an Invincible and, and, and Ryan Otley there like really kind of brings that home. But yeah, I mean, his stuff is incredible. Like, even just some of the simple things that he does, like the uh, tortured animals that the poachers are killing. Right. Like that image of the rhino with no horn is really kind of haunting. Uh, it's just, he's a beautiful artist. And, and his craven with, like, Laura Martin's colors is really uh, a striking interpretation of the character. Yeah. So in terms of the backup, we, 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 the backup focuses on Billy Connors and his, his uh, phone friend who gets him to come out to the, to the dance club, I guess. Uh, I don't know. This, this payoff here wasn't really much of anything that we were talking about last time, right? No, I mean, it's not catfishing or really anything. Like this character, Becca, doesn't even seem to know anything about Billy for all of her urging to get him out the door. She's not really caring about whether he shows up at the at the club and actively flees him. Like I figured the whole setup with this was that she knew about him being like a lizard thing and he would get out there and be made fun of or something like that. It just doesn't really do anything with it. And not, neither is it like Craven the Hunter teasing him in some way. They ca- end up capturing him at the end of the issue, uh, Black Ant and Tac- Taskmaster, incidentally. Like they just happen to see him. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, look, there's another one of them running around. <laughs> Let's get this one now. <laughs> but like, yeah, was it like they were out desperately looking for for lizard characters, right? I mean, that wasn't my sense from the way it kind of came about. 
it's just weird. Like he stopped by like a bouncer, and like he doesn't really get Martha, you know, uh, or, you know, Connors or, or the actual lizard out the door because they're like, we'll just call Spider Man. Like I just. Like I'm maybe you know Billy Connors is the stake that gets Spider-Man involved in the hunted storyline, you know. But like, for in terms of setup, I just thought you could like do something a little more interesting than this. It's like kind of takes my investment in that B plot and makes it like a nothing burger. Yeah, um, and then of course there's the art of this B plot, which I don't know was not was not for me. What about for you, Dan? I think the first appearance of Peter Parker kind of sums up my feelings uh, on this art is that we open up with Peter vomiting into the toilet. That's kind of how I feel about the art in this book. It's like you couldn't get like, I I don't know. I mean, I I hate like crapping on people's artwork, you know, like they're obviously more talented than me, but like you've got really like weird distended faces and figures and proportions and like, you know, Peter's eating soup later on that looks like he's actually re-eating his vomit. Like, I, 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 I hate to be crass about it, but it's really ugly. Like, I just thought it was really ugly, uh, like, to look at. And from a major book from Marvel, it's like, I don't know. I mean, like, I think about, like, the Batman series and the backups in that book. And they have, like, you know, Marcos Martin and, and you know, John Romita Jr. And, like, really amazing artists doing backups in those books. And it's like, this is, this is the artist you could, you could get on this? Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. I mean, I don't want to like pile on, but it, it just it just felt very, like you said, the, the, there is a list of celebrated artists on this book. I, I, I don't know if this kind of went with meshes with that that theme and and that that idea of what we've usually seen uh, on on the main the flagship book. We did get some as disappointing as the Billy story was. I mean, we did kind of get some interesting tie-ins or, or or kind of things coming full circle. I mean, most notably with Aunt May, uh, we talked about in our last episode at length kind of how Peter slash Spider-Man's desire to save May from the rubble, like that real drive was almost like a little unnerving and a little too much. Um, like, like, why was he just so focused to the point that he seemed to be having blinders on about everything else? Uh, and this kind of pays that off and says, oh, yeah, he, he admits he screwed up by being that way. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of a classic Spider-Man thing, right? Like, he had two decisions and he made, you know, whatever the best one he felt like at the time was. Um, and so, that yeah, I, I, that was interesting. The, the thing that really stood out to me in this issue, and maybe I'm making a big deal out of it, but, like, you know, Peter says that he's, you know, he starts in this issue sick, kind of out of nowhere. And, you know, he, you know, Mary Jane is kind of like, I don't really want you going out of Spider-Man, but she kind of relents, you know, because this is a new Mary Jane. She believes in Spider-Man now. Right. Instead of the one of Brand New Day era and, and Dan Slott's run, where she like, I don't want you going out. I'm terrified for you kind of thing. Um, so that's nice. But he says that he was sick and he hasn't been sick since dot, dot, dot. And to me, cutting off that line seemed like a tease. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But then I've been like racking my brain. Like, when was the last time he was notably sick in a story that would matter for something like this? I mean, does does anything come to mind for you? No. I, I, and it's an interesting observation. I mean, I, I'm not saying you're reading too much into it, but like, I might have even just glossed over it because I wasn't thinking in terms of when was the last time he was sick in a significant way? I mean, you know, like there, there, there are certainly plenty of stories in Spider-Man history where him being sick played a pivotal role in the outcome of the story. But 
This was not I, I can't think of anything recently. I mean, you know. I mean, I don't want to go down the path of like demon fueled sickness, you know. I think one of our people in the Slack was saying, Oh, he was I remember him being sick during uh, you know, um one more day or since past. And I'm like, I don't I don't remember that. You know, like uh the last time I remember him like being sick is like during maybe like the like was he sick in the Bacalo like winter like you know Aztec story um like was there a major sickness that he had during Dan Slot's run I I I can't think of one um does maybe one of those things where like one of our Patreon listeners writes in and goes he was sick during XYZ I mean, I guess you could say he was technically sick during the last few issues before ASM 700 when he was dying as Doc Ock. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, yeah. But, but like, are we going that far in this? You know what I mean? Like, is that what we're considering, like, to be where the mindset is? I, I don't know. I don't know. None of it seems to fit in with, like, it's just a random sickness. But the, that line, I don't know why you would throw that line out there unless you were trying to, like, like wink at something but i i don't know what it's winking at right um meanwhile what's up with like black cat having spider tracers yeah i don't know what that like they're not even like cat themed there's just flat out spider tracers did spider-man go like when they made up they're like here's some of my tech enjoy i i don't know yeah that 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 didn't make much sense i definitely kind of furrowed my eyebrow at that reveal for certain And then we got the kind of like blink it and you'll miss it after the letters page in this book where Arcade shows up at the Plaza Hotel, uh, which is famously the hotel formerly owned by Trump and that appears in Home Alone 2. Right. If you know what I'm talking about. Yep. And uh, he's like showing up with all the, you know, the hunters and the kind of like animalistic villains in capsules on like a, a barge, I'm guessing. And what looks to be, and this is my read on it, that like these like Craven's facial hair styled body armor for all of the participants to operate in, because I can't imagine they're like going in as normal people and fighting against supervillains. Like my read was that they're like Iron Man suits that happen to look like Craven that they're going to be hunting in. And why not? (laughs) I mean, why not? Uh, And that's kind of fun. Uh, you yeah. know, uh, an, an interesting tease. I was a little confused by it at first, but then I like kept looking at it and kind of ferreted it all together, you know? <laughs> Understood. You want to go to grades on this? Yeah, sure. What What are you going to give it, Mark? I, I'm going to give it a C. I mean, you know, I'm not... I, there's a part of me that might even think lower, but, I, I, I you know, I want to see where it's going there was some fun art in it. There were a couple of story elements that didn't bother me too much, but uh, this, this was a rough start considering this has kind of been the story we've been building for, for a while, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to keep an open mind and stick it with, stick it right there as an average story. Yeah. It's a C for me too. I mean, it's beautiful to look at when it is beautiful. Uh, I just, boy, that like, I want to be thrilled by that Craven stuff, but it is baffling Mark. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, not where I expected us to be, and not in the good way, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, but let's yeah. let's well, let's see where we go, and we're gonna have some fun one shot. So you know, there's there's hope for that too. It hasn't fully tampered, you know, my excitement. You know what I mean? Like it's like I have the sense that there's a plan here, and like maybe with time, all of this stuff will begin to make sense. You know, uh, it's not that the narrative is bad; it's just badly constructed it's like an it needs an editor 
who can help Nick kind of put all this together in an appropriate way. I think that's totally fair. All right, everyone. Well, thanks again for joining us for our review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Dan, what's coming down the pike for us in the future? Well, as we teased on our last episode, next week we've got our fifth episode of Season 3, where we'll be joined by J.M. DeMatteis to talk about Peter's increasingly tumultuous relationship with his frenemy, Harry Osborn. Also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week, where we've already got special reviews of the entire Nick Spencer run up through issue 20. Today, we talked about how Hunted got started, but if you're reading this epic story, why not help support our show and get caught up with all of our opinions of the story at the same time? Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, b-book reviews, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commissioned artwork, this time from Barry Kitson, as he depicts the tremendously sad moment that Spider-Man learned of Gwen's demise. It's going to be really sad. He just sent me the thumbnails the other day, and they are really awesome. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Barry is going to cook up for us. Awesome, or sad, even. Yeah, just hang this sad tableau on your wall of uh, the the moment we all can't forget. It's going to be beautiful, so if you want a piece of Spider-Man history hanging on your wall, that's the way to do it. But in the meantime, also check out the Untold Talks of Spider-Man. They're our sister podcast that not enough of you are listening to. If you want more Spider-Man goodness in your day, that's the show to go get it. It's the Untold Talks of Spider-Man. And they just join up and talk about random issues of Spider-Man that are untold treasures. And this time they're talking about an issue from Tangled Web of Spider-Man, which is one of the best Spider-Man B titles ever printed, if you were to ask me. Oh, I agree with that 100%. Lots of great stories in there. Plus, we've also got the amazing Spider Slack community for you to join. Just check out this episode's description to or link to join our Spider-Man talking community. It's like this forum on your phone where you can talk anything you want in regards to Spider-Man. And I set up all these channels for different types of conversation. So I just set up the Avengers Endgame spoilers channel for anybody who's seen the movie to join in and wants to talk about it without the scolding eyes of the internet. You know, like you want to talk about that favorite moment of yours, but you can't do it because you don't want to be that guy that ruined it for the other people and yada, yada, yada. Here you can just go hog wild and we won't judge you for it. Dan, you just mentioning the words favorite moment kind of felt like a spoiler to me, and I don't appreciate that because I've not seen it yet. So, um, Mark, there are favorite moments in the movie. I'll say I, that. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. No spoilers. <laughs> okay? And that goes for everyone who's listening to this right now. Do not spoil this movie for me. It's going to be another week before I see it. Just deal with it. Okay? Thank you. And Mark and I will be talking about that movie at some point, yes. I'll be assure you. After after Mark is a normal, you know, stops being abnormal and, like, doesn't see the most anticipated movie in the world, like, the weekend it comes out for whatever reason. So whatever. (laughs) So Mark, when you are done with your Twitter exile, where might people find you on the internet? Yeah. I mean, I, I I probably will be avoiding Twitter for the next week or so, but when I'm back, you can find me at chasing ASM blog. And of course you can always buy my book. 100 things. Spider-Man fans should know and do before they die written many movies ago without spoilers. (laughs) And I'm going to be on Twitter as well, sending Mark fake spoilers for Avengers Endgame just to test and see whether or not he's actually on Twitter. And if you'd like to join me on that challenge, <laughs> you can go to me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk and offer Mark reassurance that these 
these moments are, in fact, very real. (laughs) (laughs) What's the lesson, Dan? (laughs) Oh, yes. uh, There is a lesson in all this, and it might be that I shouldn't do that to Mark. (laughs) But, uh, Mark, you're going to tell us otherwise. What is the lesson that I should take away? Well, the the first lesson is, with great spoilers comes no more (laughs) Um, (laughs) co-host. The other lesson is, with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. The next installment. Spider, don't, don't, 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 spider, don